This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Professor Mike Yuseem, Jeffrey Klein, and Anne Greenhall. Good to have you on our program, which, of course, is Leadership in Action, Sirius XM's business radio powered by us, the Wharton School. I'm your host, Mike Yuseem, director of the Leadership Center here, faculty director for the McNulty Leadership Program. And I'm with my colleagues and friends, of course, Jeff Klein, executive director of the McNulty Program, and Ann Greenhall, deputy director of that very same program. And now we're going to bring on our second guest, Kyle Schroeder is the co-founder of the Cremo Company. Uh, we're going to talk uh, with Kyle. Kyle, welcome, welcome to the program. Hello. <laughs> uh, okay, great to have you here. Uh, uh, Kyle, actually, why don't we just jump right into it? I know you grew up in California. You had a lot of dairy farming in your in your background. You came through our school here on the way to doing what you're doing now. Uh, and I believe at one point, just to bring out one distinctive feature of your resume, you actually worked in fashion as a model. But later on, you and a friend, Mike Boone, created the Cremo Company. The title itself is sort of giving away what you're doing, but it's not totally obvious. So tell us what you make and why you got into making that and how you got going. Sure. Um, yeah, so I grew up small town, California, pretty rural. Uh, Got into Penn, uh, went to Wharton, had a great experience. I, I definitely followed a, a more tra- uh, non-traditional path, um, but uh, loved what I did there. Uh, kind of set uh, just the people that I met, uh, everything that I learned. Um, I always knew I'd be an entrepreneur, and so uh, I was a little different in that. Uh, more because you know I, we get a lot of the bankers and consultants and uh, high finance. Uh, I guess kids and and classmates and um, even though I enjoyed some of that, like I, I always kind of knew it wasn't my path. And so after school, I got uh, my corporate job and uh, honestly hated it. Um, I, I, I I my first one I got laid off. I think because AOL took over Time Warner. Um, and my second one I actually got fired or or was asked to leave. So. Um, I feel like every good entrepreneur probably needs to get fired a couple times because it, hmm. it kind of makes you appreciate what, uh, you know, at the time it was a little upsetting. At the same time, as a shareholder, like, I think I would have fired myself um, just because hmm. I was providing negative value. <laughs> um, but uh, it, uh, it, it was kind of empire building. I didn't, you know, I sort of hated that job too. But um, so then I uh, um, kind of just lived at Venice Beach, played, played volleyball, uh, modeled. Uh, ran around the world a few times, and uh, most of my most of my classmates thought I was crazy, but um, I was happy. It was good. Um, I kind of got that out of my system. I ended up in LA. I was I was still modeling. I was actually bartending at uh, Neiman Marcus, which is uh, it's kind of a funny story. I was there for seven years. Um, ended up getting fired from there too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I. Uh, and and that was actually because of Cremo. Um, that's that's a whole different story. But uh, so while while being a, while bartending, um, and it was a it was a great job. I worked two days a week. You know, played volleyball the rest of the week. Um, I met uh, Mike, who is uh, my current business partner and uh, my, uh, my my mentor, and um, kind of just started chatting. Uh, super garrulous, interesting guy, inventor, kooky. Um, <laughs> very a bit eccentric um so we got along well because i always like characters and uh we kind of became friends and he said you know i i'm you know i i have this amazing shave frame and i said okay well i get these red bumps so let me try it and i tried it and it actually worked and so fast forward two years uh we went into business together um he tried to hire me at first and i was you know i was i was not interested in working for anyone at that point i mean i uh, I tried that, so uh, eventually he kind of came around and was like, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing anything with this, so let's go into business. So that was uh, around 2007. 
Kyle, let me quickly add the obvious question that uh, certainly occurs to me and probably a lot of our listeners. Sounds like you had an idea, you had a product that worked for you, but you're going nowhere without some cash. And so how did you get going in those early days uh, above and beyond maybe your credit card as you started the company? How did you finance yourself? Yeah, it's interesting, and, and, and I love that you asked that question because for me, I feel like what makes our story unique is we've never raised money. Um, and in, 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 in today's world, you go to these conferences and uh, you have wildly successful companies that raise wildly <laughs> <laughs> enormous amounts of money. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, we have you know, an audience here, and I always like to highlight, you know, there's actually two ways to do that. And uh, we bootstrapped it. So uh, what we did is I think we each put in, God, at that point, it was like $5,000, which is probably everything I had in the bank because I was a you know, mildly successful model and a, you know, and a bartender. And so um, you know, we both put in some seed money, got enough to make you know, the first 10,000 tubes uh, hmm. for the lab to make those. And, uh, and we just bootstrapped it. And, and that's honestly what we've done uh, in, 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 in currently we've still never uh, sold any equity. Uh, our management does have some equity and our board has a little bit of equity, but for all of purposes, Mike and I each own half the company. So uh, it's, it's a bit unusual. Um, at the same time, uh, you know, there's, there's two ways to do things. And uh, it's also why, you know, this was in 2007. Uh, you know, my first year of sales was, I think ten thousand, twelve thousand dollars, and to me that was a lot of money. I was super excited about that. But uh, you know, it, it's you know, if you go out and raise a few million and then have ten thousand sales, um, I don't think you. I don't think that's probably yeah. a good. It, 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 I don't think that was your goal. Um, but for from us, you know, so the first year was ten, and then maybe we fifty, and you know, then it started snowballing and got bigger and bigger, um, and. Our whole model is asset light, so uh, we're able to do that. Um, we own our brand, but we use a lot of, in today's world, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing that you can do things on a dime. And mm. you, you, know, you don't need, you look, you look in the market today and you see a lot of companies that raise a lot of money and just go buy sales. And uh, it's, a, you know, it's a viable strategy, um, except when it doesn't work. And then you, know, you spend all this money and <laughs> what do you have to show for it? So, um, it's it's also a bit riskier. I mean, I, I everyone loves talking about Shark Tank. Um, everyone's you know I've been told so many times go on Shark Tank, um, and I see sort of the deals. Like I'm always looking at it from an entrepreneur, and I and you know when you're raising money, you're giving away equity. You're giving away you know all that hard earned sweat. Like and so to me, and and I do give my credit for this. Uh, you know, he, he kind of taught me, he's like, you do everything you can to hold on to your equity because that's what's going to, you know, pay you off in the end. And, you know, if you want to go raise a few million, we can go do that. Um, but in his previous success, he never did that. So he was very, neither of us, you know, I'd never done it. He'd never done it. So we're like, okay, well, we're going to bootstrap it. So that's kind of what we did. Mm. We just used, um, we used uh, loans. So we used a lot of debt. Even to this day, we have a lot of debt. You know, we're up to our necks in debt. You know, as much as the bank will give us, we uh, we take. And so, um, but when you look at capital allocation and you're looking, you know, cost of capital, um, you know, equity is going to be much more expensive than debt, um, assuming you know you're growing your company and it's profitable and you know all the inputs into that. Green Kyle, thank you. Oh, Kyle, it's really such a pleasure to have a chance to talk with you on the radio. Can you say a little bit more about how your asset light? Sure. So, with in today's world, um, you don't. You're, especially, actually, I'm trying to think. Most industries um, look at food, look at personal care, like us. Um, you know, even even look at some of the hard goods. Uh, most of the time, you don't own your factory. So, uh, it you know goes back to kind of your 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 simple economics and you know where is your time better spent. And so, for us, I. Uh, we're basically a sales, a sales and advertising, uh, marketing organization, branding, uh, all the stuff that we feel we're, we're really good at. And so um, we don't even, in today's world, you don't even actually need to own a warehouse. Mm. So 
Um, you know, and even I think even Amazon. I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't. I know for a while they're using contractors. I don't know if they still do. Um, but so we uh, have a. We don't even own a warehouse, so we we have a small sort of personal warehouse that's like our local one. That's a mom and pop, and then everyone else we we use these giant three uh, PLs is, is what they call them, and uh, it's actually more efficient because they aggregate a lot of little brands like us, mm. and then we can they can cube out a truck, and so you actually it's actually more efficient to do it that way mm-hmm. and and lower cost, so everyone wins. Um, Walmart's happy because they're going to get a truckload. Um, you can give, you can pass on the, you know, you get a better price to them. Uh, it's better for the environment. Like everything about it, it's 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 really amazing. And That's so, cool. logistics-wise, you can do it that way. So you don't, you know, shipping, uh, warehousing, and then uh, for the labs for us, um, some of the, some of the larger companies own their labs, uh, but most don't. So. Hmm. Um, when you walk into your Target or Walmart, you know, I'd, I'd say probably half, you know, in, in my world, uh, personal care, probably half half of what you're seeing on the shelf is, is made by someone else, not actually the company that, um, you know, is the brand on it. And, um, you know, Trader Joe's is actually a perfect example of that because um, they're yeah. all about, you know, private label and they don't own any of their factories. At least I don't think they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I could be wrong on that, but um, most of the time, you know, they're going to uh, third parties to manufacture exactly what they want. All right. One one more question, then I'll let Jeff get a word in edgewise here, edgewise. And just so our listeners really appreciate, we're talking about bootstrapping, and that means going from zero to $25 million in retail sales. Can you educate me here, too? What's the wisdom of taking on as much debt as you can? So... Um, and 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 just to my own horn a little bit, that was twenty five million when I was still running the company. So in full disclosure, um, I'm more of an owner than a, an operator at this point. So we're bigger than that. So it's uh, it's you know it's it's exciting. That's um, great. And uh, so for, for us, um, you know, I think if I had, I, I guess I would say, you know, when you do, when you choose between equity or debt, I'm always going to choose debt. Um, and you know, you can look, uh, uh, even to our president, like has, you know, become Mm. wildly successful through debt, like debt's um, super powerful at the same time until, you know, similar to what I said before, until it doesn't work. Um, and for us, um, we, you know, knock on wood, we, we've, I mean, we're, we're always in a cash crunch. So, you know, we're currently <laughs> in a cash crunch. Like, you know, it's, we're bootstrapped. Like, you know, when, when you have a hundred million in the bank and you can just t- take from it, like, you know, you usually spend it. So I would say the argument for debt is also, you know, it makes your capital allocation, you know, you, the bank's going to give you X amount. Um, they're not going to give you more than, uh, when you're selling equity, you know, you can come up with these valuations. Numbers don't really matter. It's just, okay, we're going to say we're, you know, we're raising at $20 million because we expect to get X amount of sales, mm-hmm. multiple, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, but a bank is going to look at your current sales um, and they're going to say, okay, we're going to give you a million bucks because we're a bank, we're super conservative, and that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other way that we actually grew a lot was through receivables financing, which is not traditional debt, it's more working capital. And so even to this day, we don't have a lot of uh, traditional like, loans, um, just because as a small company, it's, it's tough to get the term loans. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get some SBA stuff, um, you can get some personal guarantees and stuff like that. Um, but we've always just used working capital. And so and, uh, just so we can be clear on that, that's when we sell, I don't know, a case to Walmart or Target, they're gonna we're gonna send them a PO. You take that PO and you borrow against it, and so basically you're you're taking a few um, a few points off of it. And it's another thing in today's world that you know even even in the time that I've been in it, which has been you know 15 years, uh, technology and uh, the what do they call the you know this uh, tech finance stuff. Um, Factors used to be super expensive. Like you're thinking, you know, 18 to 20 percent for factors. In today's world, um, it's so competitive that you can get it down to probably between four to six, four to eight percent. So it's an extremely low cost of capital, um, and you're only growing. 
by you know you're limited by whatever your receivables are. So you could probably argue that you know well if you would raise some money and had X amount in the bank and just spent it, you can grow a little quicker. And I don't I don't think I'd argue with that. It's just um, you know then you give up the equity. That's great. Kyle, hang on a second. I'm going to remind our listeners that we're in discussion with you, Kyle Schroeder, co-founder of the Cremo Company. Listeners, you are tuned in to Channel 132, Sirius XM, Leadership in Action. I'm Mike Hussein, Ann Greenhall, and Jeff Kleiner here. Jeff. So, Kyle, I think we, we've hit on a number of really interesting experiences. Um, and one of the things that we've focused on you know, in this show over over the last number of years have been the lessons that we we draw from experiences. So I'm going to do the thing I normally do on the show, which is <laughs> I'm going to take you back to a, a, a couple of the things that you were talking about and, and put you on the spot a little and, and ask you if there were discrete lessons that came out of those experiences, those situations, which then informed, you know, either the next steps that you made or, uh, you know, your leadership in some way uh, as you went forward. So let's start with um, let's start with getting fired, <laughs> if, if you would. Yeah. And and what um, what did you take from that that in, informed future choices? Yeah, I, I honestly I think everyone needs to get fired once in their life. I mean, it just it, it humbles you. It forces you to uh, really evaluate what you want to do and what you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, even figuring out, I mean, for me, it, it was beyond eye-opening. I mean, my two corporate jobs, it basically was like, okay, you know, I don't think you're the corporate type, or if you are the corporate type, you probably need to find a different type of corporation. <laughs> so, um, you know, from that alone, I mean, extremely valuable. Because, yeah, and it's upsetting at the time. I mean, no matter, you know, sure. and, and even in my experience, you know, running the company, you, you do have to let people go. And I always, you know, start that conversation by saying, you know, I've been fired three times in my life. It's okay. Like, mm-hmm. there's, you know, it forces you to understand, okay, I'm good at certain things. I'm probably better at others and I'm probably bad at others. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. It, it helps you, uh, you know, figure out what you want to do and what you don't want to do. Yeah. And it, um, it's that point. I mean, I, I can remember a mentor early in my career, and I, I spent 10 years in the corporate world before I came here and got an MBA and knew I wasn't going to return uh, to the corporate world. Um, but I remember a mentor early on saying to me, it's really important to identify those things that you don't want to do. And, and so I, I wonder, as you look back, were there, what was it either functionally or culturally or anything else that, that signaled to you, yeah, that this isn't the environment for me yeah besides yeah them telling you you're not allowed back but (laughs) (laughs) um, (laughs) yeah i mean just you know when you're walking i mean no one's job is perfect but when you're walking in thinking you know god i'm miserable or god i don't want to do this or you know i mean something needs to change and you know, even you, you get a little philosophical about it, and there's there's plenty of jobs that people go into, you know, a nine to five job, and you don't, you know, in, in today's world, a lot of, especially in America, we define ourselves by our occupation, and right or wrong is kind of what happens. But you can still, you know, have a, not love your job, but mm-hmm. you know, you you can have a great fulfilled life. Um, I was never in that situation, and that was probably a good thing. Like I was. You know, disliked my job most of the time. Uh, you know, even was that bartender. I mean, you know, I worked two days a week. If I worked more than two days a week, I was like, this gets tough. Um, and <laughs> yeah, and, and that's you know, it is what it is. And I, for me, a lot of it was control, and I'm, I'm, I'm not that much of a control maniac. But I, I maybe I wasn't political enough. I just both those corporate jobs. I felt like you're waiting for people to die or find another job. And it just drove me up the wall because I'm like, okay, this is miserable. And, like, I don't see how I'm progressing um, because Pro- – Progressing in terms of career, in terms of learning? I mean, how are you, how are you hoping to progress? Yeah, all of the above. Okay. And, yeah, I mean, I've always been ambitious. And I'm like, okay, I can – you know, you put in your time. I'm all about putting in my time. Um, just for my upbringing, you know, I go home for the summers and, you know, work at the creamery right. and like mop the floors. And like, I'm okay with that. It was a union job. I was making you know, $18 an hour. And for an 18 year old kid, $18 an hour was a lot of money. And I was like, that's, that's amazing. 
and, you know, that being said, I don't want to mop floors for a living. Nothing wrong with it, but, you know, I was, it wasn't for me. And so I, I guess in, this, in, in the same way, I'm looking at the leaders of those companies where I was working, and I'm like, okay, how did they get there? Mm-hmm. And one was in the entertainment industry, and I felt like a lot of the stereotypes that you heard were true. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so all of a sudden I'm like, okay, it's not really a meritocracy, so um, how's that going to work? And then, so once that, you know, kind of didn't happen, the other one, um, you know, I, I didn't, you know, you, you know, if we bring it back to leadership, I looked at my leaders, and um, honestly, I didn't, it was tough for me to see myself in their shoes, because I didn't love those shoes, I didn't love the way they ran the company, mm-hmm. um, and so, I guess from that, you know, from that perspective, it's why I was driven to be an entrepreneur. It's also why I struggled with modeling too, is because with modeling, um, it took me around the world, which I found amazing. But you can't, you can't be any better because you can't change the size of your foot. You can't change the way you look. Like you can a little bit. You can maybe go to the gym, mm-hmm. but you know you're you're kind of maxed out. And um, and so as what? An entrepreneur, you you 100% control your destiny. Yeah. And I found that so empowering, so amazing. Um, and I was willing to, you know, make nothing for the first three years because it was my choice. Like, you know, I could work harder and probably make more, but well, I was like, okay, my life's good. I'm, I'm okay. So, and, and and even like that notion that you're talking about, um, there was a there was a book by John Bogle, who's the founder of uh, Vanguard, came out ten years ago, right before the financial crisis, and it had a really compelling title it just said enough right and there is a there's a sense right within american society and certainly within um within the private sector of growth and growth and growth and what i'm hearing from you is that that was tempered a little bit um i won't say totally tempered but it was it was at least somewhat tempered by this notion of enough Right, I, I can have enough, and I can have these other um, aspects, these other interests that I'm going to pursue as well. Yeah, and I think that's also why I, you know, I personally struggle a little bit with the banker. I mean, I get that you make a boatload of money, but you know, you give up a lot of your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I, maybe it's ego, maybe it's hubris. I don't really know. I always, you know, wanted my cake and eat it too. Like I mm-hmm. really like. I was like, well, I, can, I think I can do both. And if I, you know, I'm willing to take the risk and I'm willing to fail um, to try that. And so to me, it, I, you know, I was, I was you know, also a single young guy. So, you know, we have very little responsibility. It's, it's, it's an easier decision. Um, and, and I get that when I talk to other entrepreneurs, you know, you have two kids, you have kids in private school, and you, you're not going to take a paycheck for three years. Um, no, that's, it's a tougher decision. Sure, sure. Well, so, so I, I've heard a lesson from getting fired. <laughs> I've heard a lesson that comes out of modeling. Um, how about a lesson from bartending? What <laughs> What did you learn from bartending, other than don't go above two days a week? That that helps in that helps inform the way you know that you ran the Cremo company. Um, well, and especially at Neiman Marcus. So it's a it was a unique bar. I, and tell us tell us why it's unique. Oh well, so Neiman Marcus is a big retailer, right? So super high end. I uh, it's it's a it's a bar on the fourth floor of Neiman Marcus in Beverly Hills. So uh, the clientele uh, is kind of what you would you know what you would imagine. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, so from that, I, I mean, the lesson there, and it's the same thing. You know, I, I like everyone should be in the service industry for a while, um, or at least for a year or something, because you know it's. It, it makes you understand, um, I guess, kind of, you know, you're slapping drinks, you're, you know, picking up plates, you're, you're doing things uh, that make you appreciate the other things in life and, and you know, the fact that I, I kind of don't have to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the lesson from that is, and I, you know, even with my buyers, um, you know, the, you have to be personable. Um, the mm-hmm. Neiman Marcus is not like a club um, where you can tell someone, you know, you're drunk, go jump in the lake. 
Mm-hmm. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, polite, right? That's probably a polite way of saying because, uh, you know, that's not how it works there. That being said, like, you know, did I have to cut people off a few times? Sure. And so you learn a way to say that tactfully and, and you know, give them some peanuts or something. And, <laughs> and send them on their yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, and you know, it's also clientele that doesn't like being told no. So, uh, you know, you'd see, you, you kind of take, you, you learn how to be a little scrappier and a little um, um, more tactful. And um, I think it also helped me. I was, you know, I don't, um, I don't mind conflict, but I'm definitely not, uh, uh, not you know, it's I, I feel like uh, it doesn't scare me, but I'm I, you know I I'd, I'd, I'd try you know out of all my things I'd probably not you know get into an argument and all that, but mm-hmm. um, it, it probably helped me a bit with that you know just you know you kind of you know you're the bartender you I you know I guess I'd call my manager my manager would look at me like I was an idiot um, and just be <laughs> like you know certain restaurants were very uh, hierarchical and ours wasn't so you know you kind of just took responsibility and you're like okay. So from that respect, that's great. I, I really appreciate you. Uh, I put you on the spot there for a little walk down memory lane. Uh, but, but each of those stories was was fantastic. I appreciate you sharing. Yeah, them they're us. great. All right, Carl, I'm going to have you hang on. We do need to take a breather, a break. When we come back, I'm going to pick up on a question that my guess is a lot of listeners are thinking through as well. And that is, how did you know when you uh, came on this particular shaving cream that that was it. If you're going to build an enterprise, that was it. So need to think a little bit about uh, you, the people that created Uber. They were trying to solve a problem getting around San Francisco. How did they come to know that shared rides of the kind we know now of Uber and, uh, well, a bunch of companies, Lyft included, how do you know when you're looking at the product that is indeed going to give you that um, that traction to build? So with that, stick around, everybody. I'm Mike Hussein. You're listening to Leadership in Action. This is, of course, business radio powered by the Wharton School channel, Sirius XM channel, I should say, 132. Stay tuned. We're going to come back and continue our dialogue with Carl Schroeder right after the break. By the way, do we have outstanding music from our engineer or what? Leadership in Action, that's the channel. We've got great music and we've got great commentary because we are Sirius XM's business radio powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Mike Yusim. I'm with the Center for Leadership and Change here in the McNulty Leadership Program. And I'm in the studio with my good friends and colleagues, Jeff Klein and Ann Greenhall, who do preside over, direct, and lead the McNulty <laughs> Leadership Program. And, of course, if you've been listening, we are in dialogue with Kyle Schroeder, co-founder of the Cremo Company. Kyle, just before the break, uh, kind of a heads up to you and our listeners. I'll have a couple people to call in with their own ideas. If you want to do that, 844-942-7866. Your own ideas on how you knew you had a product that you could build into a company. We look at a lot of things. And, of course, the history of Airbnb is a couple people were trying to figure out how they were going to stay at a, uh, a convention. They couldn't get a hotel room, and voila, they came up with the idea of home sharing. Much the same story about Travis Kalanick and his colleague as they got Uber going. So, Kyle, back to you. How did you know that that shaving cream was it? I, I, interesting question, I guess, for me, is because it really worked. And so I, I mentioned it a bit earlier when... Mike had given me a sample. So Mike's true engineer guy. So he, he had actually created the formulation. And uh, I would always get these red bumps. At the, you know, it's, you know, sort of when you, when you shave on your neck. And he told me, try it. I, I honestly didn't, you know, didn't believe him. Um, but I was like, oh, I'll try it. And uh, it worked. It worked really well. And so to me, uh, especially in personal care, it's tough to, to – to actually find something that works differently. I mean, you can find pretty things. You can find uh, claims that will work differently. You can uh, you know, find different scents. But this actually worked differently. So um, you know, I didn't grow up thinking, oh, I'm going to start a shave cream company. I, <laughs> I don't think many, you know, I don't, I don't know if many entrepreneurs do. Uh, it was uh, 
something that you know kind of fell on my lap and I'm like, oh that is great. Um, you know, that being said, uh, I had no idea what I was doing or what I was thinking. Um, because, you know, I you know, I just sort of it's shave cream, of course. It's great stuff, it works really well. Why wouldn't CVS want to put it on their shelf? And so, um, being young and naive in that respect, super helpful. Um, <laughs> yeah. yes. That's right. true. Um, Write that down, partners. <laughs> yeah, really. Being naive, <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, and I think it's you know perseverance and um, and just I I I will say Mike's more of the. Uh, he had designed the first packaging. It's beautiful packaging, full retro, uh, super uh, sort of apothecary type. And so it just resonated with me. And I was like, okay, I love it. Let's do it. Let's make it work. And uh, it took a while, but it, it did. And you know, that kind of snowballed. And so Kyle, uh, super happy with where we are now. It's really interesting. Quick comment from me on that. The story on Uber is a couple of people wanted to get around San Francisco and they couldn't get a taxi, and they solved a problem. And it occurred to him, well, maybe other people have the same problem. Same with Airbnb. Uh, a lot of people can't seem to get a hotel room they, they can afford when they should come in, and sometimes all the hotel rooms are going, have already gone. And so, let's see, criterion number one is it's got to be appealing. It's got to work. Saved your, your throat from those red bumps. Uh, but having said that, um, not only did it work for you, but it occurred to you, a lot of other people might have the same issue, the same problem, and voila, you've got a product you can sell. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, uh, it makes total sense to me. And uh, it's, you know, the, the actual, um, you know, I, I like men's grooming. I like personal care. Um, at the same time, like, I don't live and breathe, you know, probably I, I should have been in video games or something in that world. Um <laughs> And, and that, you know, but then that would have maybe ruined my pastime. Um, but so to, to me, it's, you know, it's interesting, you know, the building, the process, the creating. And, um, you know, the product itself, uh, you know, was, was, you know, as long as I could get behind it, I, I was happy with it. Um, but it's interesting that you say all of that because so one of Mike's, you know, Mike has all these Mike-isms um, for me. And it's, uh, you know, one of his is, you know, is it, is it, a solution in search of a problem. And um, it's interesting because I, you know, it's, at this point kind of in my career, I get a lot, I get people uh, coming to me with ideas and um, ideas are great, but, you know, it's a lot of, you know, is this, is, is this an actual problem or, um, yeah. And even if it isn't, there's so much more in execution and perseverance and everything else that, um, to me, the products of the idea aren't aren't you know aren't as important as I think most people think they are. Kyle, I have a follow up for you. I love what you said that your naivete was really an asset. So looking back, uh, what what have you what did what have you learned in retrospect that in fact had you known it at that time. <laughs> you might have been discouraged or dissuaded from carrying on. Yeah, just I, without a doubt what I was asking my buyers to do. Because um, what <laughs> I know now, I mean, I'm walking into Walmart, um, you know, 25-year-old or whatever, 28-year-old kid, just expecting him to give me the time of day because why wouldn't he? I have a great product, you know, a young guy. I'm helpful. Like, <laughs> like but like beyond like and and knowing what i know now like they must have thought i was entertaining like that's probably <laughs> why they took the meeting because like they're like who is this kid with one product and number one like what i know now like you never go into like one product on a shelf is almost dead like i should have gone in there with three um because at least you can build a little bit of a brand block and uh you know you're you're when you when you're that you know when, when you're bootstrapping it don't have x amount to buy national ads your your biggest ad is your packaging, and so one item versus two versus three. I should have probably at least gone in with two flavors or something like that, or maybe <laughs> a half, you know, an aftershave. But no, but because you know I was young and naive, and I'm just like, but why not? This is great. Why wouldn't you? Like it's gonna, you know, 
more profit per square inch. Like I had great arguments and that was the other thing I wasn't, and it was a great product. So I went in there fully confident, but really, really clueless as to their jobs and what I was asking them to do um, for me. And so uh, knowing that now, uh, yeah, I would, I would do things differently. Um, But you know, it's, it it was what it was. And so (laughs) it, it worked. Um, you know, and so uh, I think uh, part of that also is it was my company, and I had a personal, uh, you know, it, it 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 was mine, and it mattered. And and I think I walked in the door not to say that the guy from Church and Dwight or Procter and Gamble right. it doesn't matter for for him or her, mm-hmm. um, but they don't, you know, they're going to get paid. You know, maybe their bonus won't be as much, but for me, I'm like, yeah, this is my life, it's my thing, this is what I'm doing, and. Yeah. Um, I think that resonated, and um, I would certainly do that again. I mean, that's that's you know to, to personalize it and make it a you know something that they can help me out because most people want to help others out, and um, you know as long as they can do it in a way that's not going to hurt them, and so because you know you're 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 gunning for someone else's space on the shelf, and so uh, if it's an underperforming item. I, uh, you know, they'll, they'll maybe throw you a bone. And so eventually, you know, they threw me a bone and, um, it's, uh, it, you know, at that point it kind of dominoed. It's so great. So, and now a follow up and, um, and I have a little insight you, cause you and I have talked and I have uh, thought about this question. You are selling your products through CVS or Walmart. And so how, how do you get a handle on your customer, if at all? Meaning, so when you're saying a customer, end user? Or, yeah, the end user, or, that's right, exactly. Okay, yeah, so um, from it's, it's more for us about, um, you know, reading our reviews. A lot of it's online, and a lot of it's, you know, we answered our own, I answered the emails for the first, you know, four years. So, you know, you put the email on there, you get feedback from people, and uh, we sort of figured out who our customer was in you know a very non-traditional um, way. I mean, the packaging wasn't designed for um, like Axe is a good example of you know you look at Axe and Axe is designed for you know young men that want sex appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we didn't go. We you know we created pretty packaging for people that had red bumps, I guess. Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, so. Yeah, so from our perspective, and even to this day, uh, you know, we, we do struggle with, you know, who is our core customer and, you know, who are we selling to, who are we marketing to. Uh, we are definitely more of a mastige item, and, and so department store product at a drugstore price. That's a big part of our ethos. Hmm. And um, so we, we've always said, you know, if you're, if you're the guy that's going after the 99-cent foam, uh, you're probably not our, our guy. Um, you know, it's more of the guy that's looking for a better shave, um, looking for a solution to a problem, or the guy that's maybe buying the $20 department store item that wants something a bit more that's, you know, just as good, but half the price. Oh, great. Very good. All right, Jeff, we'll get you in here. <laughs> so, Kyle, um, I th- you know, this this commentary has been fantastic, and I appreciate kind of the, the wide-ranging discussion that we're having here. Um, something that we haven't talked a lot about is, you know, what it's like to launch a company with a co-founder. And so I, I wonder if you could talk first maybe about early on. You, I know you said Mike was a, a friend first um, from the bar uh, before he was, you know, a, a co-founder with you. But what were the what were the early signs that led you to say, yeah, this is someone I, I want to go to business into business with? And then how does your relationship and your, you know, your really co-leadership of the company evolve over time? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great question. And it's, a, you know, and it's, you know, a lot of the literature and books that I've read, it's, you know, choose your co-founders carefully. And I, for me, I, a lot of it was, you know, Mike has, you know, Mike had, built and sold a company before. So his previous success was mm-hmm. um, dry, dry race boards. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, he was older, uh, well-educated. And I, so to me, I was like, okay, 
you know, let's well, let's try it. Um, it was interesting at first, like I said, you know, he wanted to hire me, and so I wasn't interested in that. So I, all that being said, we also have extremely complementary skill sets, mm-hmm. and so that was another one of the, you know, I don't know if it was from, you know, Wharton or you know other books I've been reading. You know, you, you most likely don't want to do the same thing, mm-hmm. um, and 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 throughout our relationship, and. Um, you know, it's like a marriage. It's like any other relationship. I mean, there's a lot of ebbs and a lot of flows. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's certain points, you know, we were probably not able to talk to each other for a year. And then you get through it and, you, you know, you, you, uh, uh, you make it work. And um, it's, it's probably been easier for us because, you know, I'm the sales quant operations guy. Uh-huh. Um, and then he wants to do, you know, copy, creative, uh, some more of the marketing, um, you know, in, anything visual he really gets into, and any of the sort of product development, like that's that's his stuff. Yep. Um, and so we've both been really good about, you know, it's, yeah, he'll ask my opinion sometimes, but I'm like, oh, whatever you want, like, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. you know, that's you know, your sandbox, you stay in it, and like anything to do with financials, he usually just, you know glosses over and doesn't pay attention anyway so um <laughs> you know I'll, I'll take care of that and and so we do you know we, we do well with that um and was I that always, kyle was that emergent for you guys i mean did or as you launched the company did you have a conversation that said all right i've i can i can run the financials i can work sales i'll do a lot of the analytics you create products i mean how how structured was it? How much did it emerge over you know these periods of you know pretty dramatic growth? I, I it's interesting because it was never that structured. It just uh-huh. kind of happened because I honestly I, I I can't stand copy. Like I'm I'm like no one reads this, which is <laughs> absurd. Everyone reads it, but like we're parsing words and punctuation, and like I'm just like oh, for for real like. You, you have like 15 seconds to like get someone's attention and like, and we're super copy intensive. Um, if you're familiar with our packaging, like we, 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 we write a lot. Um, so stuff like that, I'm just like, please take it. <laughs> 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 was, know, the, was there anything, was there ever anything that was left that neither of you wanted to do? Um, I, I'm trying to think we were actually, I mean, the, the way it worked, anything he didn't want to do, I would just pick up the pieces. So that's a partnership. That's how it works. I mean, so um, you know, uh, you know, it's it's it, I, uh, and in the beginning there was much less for him to do, so it, it changed the dynamic. I mean, just because uh, you know I had to get it on the shelf. We had one product. You know, mm-hmm. his. You know, if 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 he's in product development. You know, we don't even have the first product on the shelf. I don't need six more behind it, and you know, beautiful body wash design and this bottle, and um, you know. So at the beginning, it, it really was all me um, because Mike was also at a point where, um, you know, he he's, he doesn't he doesn't want a full time job, and he mm-hmm. doesn't want to you know schlep to wound socket to go call on CVS, and um, you know, so it's a. Uh, it, 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 I will say there was a bit of a transition with, you know, him kind of coming back into the company um, because, you know, I was his first partner and he was kind of, you know, I didn't sign up for a boss. So, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, we kind of had to, we worked that out. And so, um, like I said, you know, it's like a marriage. It's, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's amazing at times. It's tough at others. And um, at the same time, you know, it, it's almost like Cremo is our baby, so we both did the right thing for the kid. And so even if, you know, I'm sure there were times where he was just gritting his teeth, and there's plenty of times that I did, um, and you just, you know, smile and say, sure. <laughs> That's hey, great. Kyle, I, I need to reference the fact that we're in dialogue with you, so our listeners know. I'm Mike Yuseem. Our guest is Kyle Schroeder. I'm here with Ann Greenhall and Jeff Klein. If you've got a question, call in quickly because we only have a few more minutes, 844-942-7866. Kyle, uh, as I say, we are close to the end of our time, and I've got uh, an odd personal question here. You grew up in California, and you do make note of the fact that you attended a high school that your grandparents and your father, three of your grandparents and your father had attended. Um, It's a stretch also from the fact that you 
who grew up in a family of dairy and cotton farmers. It's a stretch from California. It's a stretch from that to a business school on the East Coast. So just help us understand the route from where you were to coming to the Wharton School, part of University of Pennsylvania, as an undergraduate. Yeah, I, I totally. Once again, we'll go back to naive and clueless. Like I was just like, um, uh, my dad was a stockbroker. Um, he kind of had been through a number of careers. He farmed for a while, and then I kind of um, was done with that. And so he had told me about Wharton, and um, I looked it up. And the the dean was actually uh, they were traveling with I think Harvard, Yale, and Dartmouth, and maybe one one more Ivy. And they actually came to Bakersfield, which is about an hour from where I grew up. So I went to visit, um, and I I was like, oh. Wharton's at Penn. Who knew? Um, so, I mean, just goes to show, like, you know, like, yeah. I mean, I was the only given my high school that even went, I, you know, I think east of the Mississippi. So, um, it, uh, I, I, I applied to four schools. I got into two, and uh, one was in Southern California. Uh, Penn was the other, and I was like, okay, well, I can stay in California. I can get out of town for uh, four years, and so. Uh, I uh, called up the admissions office, which ended up being my work-study job. And I was like, well, I'm not going to go to Penn unless I visit. And so they're like, well, you can't visit during on the weekend. And uh, I said, well, I don't have a choice. Like, what, what am I going to do? <laughs> like, I can't miss school. Um, and so they made it work. They found me a, a, a host, and I, I spent, I think, a Friday and Saturday night. It was during Penn Relays. So they were like, realized that this is a little bit of a crazy weekend. Um, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I loved how urban it was. I, it was, um, integrated into the city. Um, I enjoyed just kind of everything about it and just beyond eye opening. Um, from, you know, where I'm from, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if we have a temple within, I don't know, 45 miles. And so just from that respect, um, just amazing to meet so many different cultures, religions, um, the level of wealth was a little surprising to me. Like rich, where I'm from, is not rich, on you know in Philly. So, <laughs> <laughs> got it. Um, but uh, great experience, and also, I mean, for uh, you know just just your peers, I I found extremely valuable. Yeah. Um, you know, you think you're smart, then you meet smart kids, and you're like, oh wow. Um, <laughs> so humble, humbling in, a, in in that way as well. Um, but loved it. And uh, Philly was the perfect size for me. New York was kind of scary. And so at this, you know, at this point, I can, I'm great in New York. But um, at that time, I was like, oh, God, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, a final question here. Uh, take yourself back to, let's say, your senior year here at the University of Pennsylvania. Knowing what you've been through, what's worked out, some things didn't work out, some turns and twists along the way. If a 20-year-old who's about to graduate, or at least there is in the senior year at a college somewhere, anywhere in the country, and they get you on the phone, what advice would you have them, have for them? I I would probably just say don't worry about it that much. Just uh, yeah, I mean I feel like um, especially coming out of Wharton, everyone was uh, there's a lot of expectation and a lot of, and I think that's why most of my friends thought I was kind of crazy. Um, but you know, crazy can work out times and it's, it's worked out lovely for me. So, um, you know, don't, don't put the pressure on yourself. If you know, if you're not a banker, you know, you don't need a big banker, but if you're a banker, great, be a banker. Um, and you know, you don't, uh, I feel like there's, uh, there's a lot of, I don't, you know, I don't know if I want to say pigeonholing, but you know, you, you're, you're on an ex expected track or path and, um, yeah, it was it was actually one of I met one alumni that like worked at a shoe store up on the Upper East Side, happy as a clam. He's like, yeah, it's, you know, this is what I do. And I'm like, you know, that's so refreshing. Nothing wrong with you know running you know a giant Wall Street bank at the same time. And so you know, it's it's more about what makes you happy, and um, you know, you'll figure it out. And you know, at 20, I mean, I'm double that now, so I guess I can be a little bit uh, sage about it. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, it's it, there's there's no hurry to, um, you know, kind of do what you're supposed to do. In my opinion, Kyle, that's great. For listeners that would like to find out more about the Cremo Company, how would they do that? Uh, you can go to our website. Uh, uh, it's uh, Cremo Company, all one word dot com, uh, or just do a search for Cremo, C R E M O, and uh, 
we actually have a, a really cool uh, vintage Spartan, Spartan trailer that we just refurbished. It's kind of driving around America. Mm. So if you happen to, uh, you, you can go to on the website. I'll tell you where it is. If you happen to uh, see it, you can get a free shave and a free haircut. So that's also pretty good. Oh, and um, doesn't get better yeah. than that, <laughs> right? Awesome. Uh, Kyle, thank you so much. We've uh, loved having our dialogue with you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Kyle. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, Kyle. All right, Jeff and Ann, we've got uh, literally about a minute and a half here for a quick debrief. Jeff, let's begin with you. An after-action review, what have you got? Well, I, I, this probably won't surprise you. You guys know me fairly well. But the, the theme that I'm kind of clued into right now is sort of the importance of mining the source material for lessons on your own, hmm. right? Hmm. And and not just understanding um, the lessons that other people derive. So whether that is um, the lessons which I'm sure are ricocheting throughout social media right now about the Kavanaugh hearings today, whether that is the lessons that we can pull from uh, from our, so- our soldiers over generations, from looking at primary source material to understand Issues like civil rights and civil rights and gender in the context of the military and war, with uh, with our earlier conversation mm-hmm. with Colonel Ty Sedgley, um, or you know, really taking a look back at, at the source material, source material of your own life and understanding how that informs future decisions. I think, for me, thematically, uh, that's what I'll go home thinking about. Excellent. Mm, that's and great, Jeff. I really, I really like that. So. Uh, as you're looking at the text of your own life or the life lives of others, one uh, element that stands out is perseverance. And Kyle, you know, I just really, he makes me smile mm. because mm. he had such perseverance uh, and, of course, the gift of naive, naivete at, at age 20. And with our first guest, the uh, colonel, talking about George Washington, and I didn't realize how many times he lost, <laughs> and yet how mm. he knew if he persevered and if the army persevered that they would ultimately win. So perseverance stands out. Let me add that my own thought or two from the colonel on the faculty there at West Point. George Washington, uh, in as he described George Washington, was indeed a person who was determined to bring a vision to life, an independent country, a constitution, presidential as opposed to a royal uh, sovereign. And he, uh, perseverance is maybe the uh, the subline there or the tagline. Uh, nothing's easy, especially at that scheme, at that level, but he was determined to make it happen, and he did. From Kyle, I love the phrase, I wrote this one down, you got to know what you want to do, and you got to know what you shouldn't do or don't want to do. <laughs> got to get better at that. Um, I get some advice to work on that myself now and then. So in any case, that's it, everybody. Uh, if you got a question on today's show, send us your your um, a message. We're at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Want to thanks uh, want to thank our guests tonight. Uh, two great guests we did have, uh, Colonel Ty Sedgley and Kyle Schroeder. We want to thank our producer, Matt Datz. Our sound engineer has brought some great music tonight, Jeff Simmons. I am Mike Hussein, and you've been listening to Leadership in Action. This is Sirius XM Business Radio, powered by our very own school, the Wharton School, Channel 132. Stay tuned next week. We'll be back. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 